Hello and welcome to the Home Assistant Podcast. My name is Phil. Joining me as usual, I've got Rohan. How's it going? Hey, good. How are you? Yeah, good, good. As usual, this episode of the Home Assistant Podcast is sponsored by Home Assistant Cloud by Nabucasa. Easily access your local Home Assistant instance remotely for a small monthly fee that supports the Home Assistant and the ESP Home projects. Configuration is done via the user interface, so no fiddling with router settings. SSH certificates or any YAML. All right, Rohan, a bit to cover off uh, in this episode. So we've got a release and we also had Year of the Voice Chapter 2. Um, yeah. I do want to cover off the Year of the Voice Chapter 2 was like a, a live stream. It was on the 27th of April. I do want to cover that off um, and get your thoughts on it um, and also talk about because there's some cool stuff. So I think what we need to do first, 2023.5, uh, let's discuss mm. that and then we can break down give the voice chapter two in case you didn't get a chance to watch the live stream um yeah so let's do it jump into 2023.5 mate go for it all right so first and foremost let's just talk some new features here um uh, getting right into it so first of all you can control what's exposed to different voice assistants so there's a new panel um and this panel is really around uh you know what parts are which devices what entities are shown to google home uh, amazon echo um, and and the home assistant assist uh, voice assistants that are that are uh, brought to you, brought to you in home assistant right so um, it's actually pretty neat when you look at it you actually get a breakdown of okay here's all of the devices and then those are or are not exposed you get the little logos of what's exposed um, so if it's the Amazon Echoes you'll get a little like uh, logo of the of the Amazon Echo um, and then same with the Google Home and and home assistant so. It's uh, it's actually pretty cool. Um, I think it's a nice way of utilizing it because the like I, I personally I just hate managing it via the uh, cloud UI there. Like when you go mm. in and uh, <clears throat> under the settings, when you go change it the way it is now or pre-existing under Home Assistant Cloud. Um, so I would, yeah, I much prefer doing it this way. It's just a, visually, it's just easier to understand what's where. So yeah, and I don't think this really adds any new functionality um maybe no. the um additional uh de- virtual device names for assist but they were already existing in google home currently this is only available for nabucasa google home and amazon echo integrations i hope they're going to uh, allow you know if you're doing your own roll your own uh cloud way uh, you can use this panel in the future um i can't see why they wouldn't but yeah um i think yeah, yeah. just nice ui shuffle um I do hope they can use like virtual devices or something to get um, uh, multiple language support or virtual device mm-hmm. names um, for the Amazon Echo because that would be handy. Yeah. All right. Webhooks. So there is now support for get requests and the ability and the ability to restrict webhooks to only be accessible via the local network. So yeah, yeah this one's uh, a great little addition. So now, yeah, if you've got like. Uh, re- previously, you'd have to post or put, I think it was post, put, patch, um, a re- request to a home assistant webhook. It really uh, limited uh, third-party devices that or integrations that could call webhooks. You know, you'd have to do it in a special home assistant format, make sure you're posting yeah. correctly. Now with a get request, uh, if you've got anything that can just ping a URL uh, on your network, any manufacturer, any device out there that can ping a URL, um, as long as you don't need to pass data from the integration, you can just do a GET request. Um, yeah, Home Assistant should may even be able to get data if it's provided. But yeah, just being able to do the GET request means, you know, no having to try work out custom curl requests and all that sort of fancy stuff. 
Yeah, there was, uh, there's apparently quite a few services that deliver it via GET. Um, mm. And those devices or those, those services aren't able to be integrated in um, today until now. Right. So yep. um, I think that's, uh, that, that was a pretty decently large ask, I believe. Um, mm. So yeah, it was there and now it's there. So if you have it, you got it. And for the uninitiated, a GET request is essentially uh, if you're in a browser, um, in Google Chrome, and you type in a URL, you are doing a GET request. So if you do, you know, type in a, a URL, um, put in uh, Home Assistant, anything that you call the URL essentially uh, can do a GET request. So, yeah, very handy inter- uh, update to have. Yeah. Um, Home Assistant Yellow, a little bit of an update there. So you can start configuring the LED colors, or sorry, the LEDs themselves of the Home Assistant Yellow. Um, so yeah, you can start, uh, controlling those to, you know, do different things, um, pulse, blink, whatever, as you need to. Um, so pretty handy there. All right. Um, something that we're going to discuss in the year of the voice chapter two, but, uh, it's, it's supported for the, um, updates that have come in 2023.5 is multiple instances of the open AI conversation. So mm-hmm. now you can use, uh, different prompts. Uh, for example, you may, I haven't tested this out properly, but I did see on the uh, Year of the Voice Chapter 2, um, I think Mike had a like an example running of uh, like a Super Mario responses. Like, yeah. Know, res- respond in Super Mario, how like Mario from uh, Nintendo would respond. Yeah. Um, so maybe you could have, you know, one that responds, you know, in the style of Jarvis, one that responds in the style of uh, a character from Game of Thrones, right? Um, yep. So, yeah, that sort of uh is really cool yeah and and again that now again especially if you have kids and stuff like that too and and you want to have a little bit of fun with it it's uh Mm. i don't know i think it's cool there's i'm sure there's a practical use for it but you know sometimes things can be fun too right so yeah all right um last one for new features is the synology dsm so if you have the synology nas and you have it and you have your photos in there as well uh, you can actually uh, bring those into the media browser now. So that's kind of handy there. I like that. Yeah. All right. Um, some new integrations. There's a couple of integra- in- integrations that have come out. Um, this one is going to be a little bit confusing. Uh, I was certainly confused while it's listed as a new integration. So <laughs> Android TV Remote uh, allows you to launch apps and control your Android TV device. Now, for those playing at home and those that may already have an Android TV integration, uh, the existing Android TV integration uh, has been renamed. Um, we'll get to that uh, in the breaking changes. Um, but yeah, essentially, I think this is just using uh, a more solid supported uh, API in order to control Android TV devices. Yeah, there, there's actually a bit of a piece there too where it's it is it's technically it's not the same as what was what used to be called android uh android tv right which is now it's going to be known as android debug bridge which is the actual adb feature Mm. that comes in um where you generate like an api and or you have to you have to not generate an api but you have to change the mode of the device and and so on and so forth um so you're effectively putting it into a developer mode to just to be able to change channels and stuff like that so this is more of a native uh, remote type functionality, right? So where you don't have to do that. So that's uh, it's kind of handy. There. And it should discover devices on your network as well. So if you do have an Android mm-hmm. TV device, Discovery should pick it up. So there's that too. Now the wrapped Bluetooth. So this integrates the Raptor RAPT pill hydrometers into the home assistant. 
So essentially the wrapped pill acts as a real-time gravity testing hygrometer, or sorry, hydrometer uh, and thermometer, allowing instant gravity and temperature measurements. Also uh, logging from inside your fermenter during fermentation. So um, cool. <laughs> I, when I saw this, I'm like, oh, I, what, what is a pill? I have no idea what a pill hydrometer is, right? Um, yeah. yeah, I guess it's something to do with brewing, um, high brewing. It actually looks like a really cool device. It looks like a little pill. It's got a battery in there. I guess you just yeah. plug it in. And I was like, why the hell would someone want to measure gravity? Like, yeah, yeah. Are we, is that what we're doing? <laughs> oh, I hear you. I hear you. All right. Uh, one I am excited and I think is adding to my reasons for the universe telling me to buy a Roborock is the Roborock integration. There's a new integration in Home Assistant. Um, it now allows you to uh, integrate your robot. Roborock vacuum cleaner while maintaining support for the Roborock app. Now, I'm not invested in this ecosystem. I think, Ryan, you've got a, a D-Bot or something from memory. I do, yeah. Yeah. Um, so if you're using a Roborock vacuum cleaner, I believe you previously had to use the Xiaomi integration to get those into Home Assistant, or there may have been a custom hacks integration from Roborock. Now there is an official supported Roborock integration in Home Assistant. I assume it's still going to be cloud dependent though um which is i believe it is yeah annoying but you know you have it's to, something yeah choose your battles yeah because before when you used the xiaomi piece it wasn't really it didn't really mesh up with the app mm. um so i think that's the nice piece here yeah okay nice um anova so you can control anova or anova sous vide uh machines with wi-fi that have wi-fi capabilities now so it's kind of cool if you're cooking something you can have it connected to your home assistant and whenever, whatever time is up, nice. it can do its own Absolutely. thing. Turn it off, turn it on, whatever. Yeah, kind of cool, right? I wonder if these are available in um, Australia. I mean, it sounds. Yeah, like there should be. I, I, know, I know they're, they are available here. Um, I, I know a couple of people with them, um, but both with the Anova ones and I think some other brand too. But, Ooh, yeah, actually, no, it is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're they're they're. I know. I again, like I said, uh, they're fairly common here, at least. That yeah, they're not. I don't think they're super cheap, but uh, so yeah, it's pretty cool. You can just uh, mm. cook a steak or whatever. Just uh, I guess put in a vacuum sealed bag or uh, or like a Ziploc bag, whatever, and then yeah. you just boil it to perfection. I guess essentially Cooking right? with Home Assistant. I like it. Well, I, I do love that um, it has Wi Fi and it can be integrated. Like that's that's really cool. Yeah, yeah. All right. Okay, so breaking changes, as I was, you know, as we talked about uh, previously, Android TV. So the existing Android TV integration has been renamed to the Android Debug Bridge. So if you already had, in 2023.4 previously, had an Android TV integration, it will now be in the integrations list as Android Debug Bridge. Um, so the rename is because that is what it is actually controlled or provided. So with the addition of the new Android TV remote integration, um, they wanted to reduce the possible confusion yeah. in the future. So I I have a Fire TV stick. Um, yeah. I don't understand, and I haven't delved in enough of it yet. So obviously we were a bit delayed in the podcast coming out uh, this release, mm -hmm. so I haven't had a chance to really play with it yet. But my Fire TV stick hasn't been discovered by Android TV, so... Maybe Fire TV users have to use the Android debug bridge um, and maybe Android TV devices can use Android TV. Um, I haven't delved into it enough yet, but yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, it might it might just be uh, like from an from an Android TV perspective, right? It might mm. it might be 
too far away from the Android TV. Maybe I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. But right. yeah, I guess for me, if it hasn't broken, I'm not going to fix it. So like, yeah. for me, it's listed as a breaking change, but I don't see the way they've done the breaking change now that everything's removed from YAML. Um, and it's all in the UI. This sh- you should be able to still update without needing to go in and update any config or anything. Yeah, any in the list differently. Yeah, it shouldn't be too bad in that uh, in that part. All right, um, real link. So for real link doorbells, the status LED light entity has been replaced by a status LED select entity. Um, so the switch off state resp- uh, corresponds to the auto. Uh, to the, in, in the select menu and then the switch on state corresponds to the auto and always stay on at night. Um, and there's an additional stay off state that's available as well. So just a little bit of a remapping there, um, keep things more consistent, right? So, um, and I guess it makes more sense if there's more than just an off and on uh, piece mm. there, right? So, all right. all right. Synology DSM does have some breaking changes as well. The unit conversion for all memory storage and network related sensors was corrected from the binary 1024 to decimal 1000 base to be in line with the used measurement units. Um, you may need to update the historically recorded units for these sensors via the statistics page under the developer tools. Rohan, what's your opinion on 1024 versus decimal 1000 for megabytes? 1024 is more accurate. Mm. Um, as a purist, I like 1024, right? Like, and and yeah, 1024 is more accurate, but 1000 is just easier to understand, right? Like, yeah. I uh, honestly, most days I don't care either way because <laughs> it's it's a little bit of a rounding error depending on what you're doing. Again, depending on what you're running too, it might be important that you have that accuracy, right? Especially as it comes mm. to RAM and things like that. It's like, okay, well, do I actually have 90% or is it like 84% that that I can fill up? Yep. Right. Uh, so, so it does, it does make a difference, but uh, yeah, for the most part, it's, I don't know. I don't care too, too much personally. And and I know I'm going to get a little bit of hate for that one, but uh, <laughs> again, I do, I do think it's important to distinguish what you're using. Um, I don't think, but I think as long as that's understandable, then, then you should be fine. Yeah. Um, Web hooks. So two new trigger options uh, have been added that, uh, that limit how a uh, webhook can trigger, right? So uh, there's a new allowed methods option, which can be used to control which HTTP methods are can can activate the trigger. So we talked about earlier how um, get requests are now added as part of webhooks, web or get webhooks are now added. Um, and then along with that, obviously, there's head, post, and put, as Phil mentioned, too. Um, so you, you can start to control uh, what uh, requests can actually, or how which type of request can start to trigger that. Um, and then the local only option is, like we said, is used to allow uh, devices outside or only on the local uh, network uh, who's going to activate the trigger there. So um, before all the webhook triggers could be activated by um, head, post, and put methods. Um, so it doesn't have to be one specifically, whether it's locally or on the internet. Um, so yeah, so that that will be a breaking change just because um, the any webhook trigger that that's there prior uh, will not or will have the local only set to false. Uh, so if we want to make we want to make sure that that's uh, the case there. So um, you can click on the little cog icon or the gear icon next to the webhook ID and just update the webhook trigger. Uh, and then if you wanted to say, for example, it's only accessible by the local network, just set that there. Then. Um, and then don't forget to hit save. And yeah, that should uh, 
So that will show up as a repair warning up top, I believe so. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill. This is something that I find frustrating. So the last bit here. Um, yeah. It is necessary to deselect the option for the save button to appear. Then you can reselect the option um, if it should be enabled. This will make the repair warning go away. So essentially, um, and, and this comes in, so this will be uh, required for 2023.7. So you've got two releases to make these changes for as from a, a usability perspective, having to reselect an option um, for something to be enabled. Like it's just, it feels clunky. Like I understand yeah. what home business are trying to do here is they want to ensure that anyone that hasn't specifically allowed um, external access to a webhook uh, has actually you know, gone through the UI process and a tick the option essentially. Um, I think maybe it would have been better to do instead of local only, like external availability and default that to off or something. Um, obviously yeah. that would have had a, a bigger breaking change, but you could have at least advised that, um, you know, through the repairs or, or whatever system I, to say, Hey, right. Like this is going to stop working unless you, um, Yeah, I, I think, I think it's a security over, uh, connectivity. So, and I, and I think I, just looking at it again, I think I explained it wrong. So it will not allow external connectivity in mm. by default. It will reject the webhook if it comes from externally, if it's not, if that setting is not set today. That's how I understand it. Yeah. Um, so to me, that says they're doing that because of the security piece there, because they care about, they, they want to make sure that that is the case. Yep. However, that's been the case for ever, right? Since the webhook, webhooks were introduced into Home Assistant. Um, so yeah, I, I kind of agree with you there, but at the same time, I see the security aspect of why they would do that, but it is, it is a decent amount of inconvenience. Um, completely agreed there. It's not so much the, the inconvenience, it's just like, if we're trying to make Home Assistant more accessible to the wider people, like having these instructions, you know, like you have to click, uh, a deselect mm -hmm. option and then click a save button for it to whip it. Like, I think if we're trying to make home assistant easier to use um, things like that, I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily know uh, the answer. I haven't looked into how it could be different. I'm just looking at the, the way this is described here and maybe it would have been better to reverse it. Right. So that, you know, if I do want something to be accessible externally, then I can go in and tick the box yeah. as opposed to having to go in, untick it, tick it again, hit the save button. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like it, Obviously, it sounds like the repair warning's coming up because um, something needs to be set in a database somewhere and they don't want to just go blindly and assume whatever's there today is going to be the correct value. Um, mm. Yeah, I think it's just it's just one of those things that irks me. It's like, oh, we're still yeah. you know, very tech-focused, right? Like as a, as a tech community, we'd understand this, but if we want to really yep. make things easier, then it's these little things like this we sort of need to yeah. you know, massage Agreed. a bit. Uh, agreed, one thing I will agreed. say on webhooks, though, um, do consider strongly disabling any methods that you don't see using. Um, 
I know in my line of work, I'm sure Rohan's you've had it in your line of work, accidentally hitting a webhook uh, with a GET request. You know, some services like Slack, for example, will uh, ping a, a website or a URL just to try and get some metadata from the URL to display it. And that could in a, yeah, inadvertently trigger an automation. So if you don't uh, have a use for GET, maybe consider uh, disabling those on your webhook at the same time as um, going in and adjusting those uh, local access uh, issues. Yeah, totally agreed. All right. Um, so we're going to talk about Year of the Voice Chapter 2. So on the 27th of April, um, there was a live stream between Paulus and Mike, who is running uh, the Year of the, the Home Assistant Voice Division, or the Nebuchadnezzar Voice Division, I should say. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, very informative. I uh, watched it uh, not at 3 a.m. my time. I watched it uh, a bit later. <laughs> um but yeah, so very cool. So I just want to give a couple of highlights. Um, Assist, which is the Home Assistant built-in assistant you can access through the UI using that yeah. conversation button in the top right corner, now has 45 supported languages, um, and you can talk to Home Assistant in those languages via text. Um, and that came from 165 contributors from the community. So thank you, everyone, um, all those 165 people for contributing. Yeah. And, of course, if you have your own language or... Um, your own contributions that you want to make, of course, feel free to open up pull requests and, and keep that going. Um, so chapter two, uh, so chapter one was essentially doing the assist, you know, getting text uh, to re- be able to talk to your assistant. Um, now chapter two is about the hard part, which is covering uh, text into speech. So converting your text to speech and speech, of course, into text. Um, so in 2023.5, they've got the Open API Whisper, um, which is so. If you're familiar with ChatGPT, uh, Open API is the company that created ChatGPT. Whisper is another product they run or have created, um, and their Home Assistant is using that to convert speech into text, um, which is actually can be run locally. I was quite surprised. Uh, yeah, how good this is running locally. Yeah, and and. So in case you missed kind of the whole premise of what's happening here, the point is to create a privacy-focused voice assistant, voice assistant, right? So meaning today uh, your Amazon Echoes, your Google uh, Homes, um, all of those devices technically go back to Google and uh, Amazon and so on and so Mm. forth, Apple, whoever. Um, And and technically your data can be mined there, right? so from a privacy perspective, that's that's a bit of a problem. Uh, so what's cool is that means now if I'm running this thing locally, do I need to have a, you know, a data center full of devices or full of servers here running that's just to translate saying, hey, turn on a light. Mm. Uh, so what's, what's actually pretty neat is these devices are actually, or these, sorry, these models are so efficient that, uh, you know, you can even run them on something like a Raspberry Pi. Yeah. Um, obviously, the higher models are better. So you want like four uh, Raspberry Pi 4 and, and, and above in the future, I guess. Um, but that does give you quite a bit of, uh, of uh, I guess, like, how can I, how can I even say this? Like it, it gives anybody the option to be able to run this at home, right? So yep. um, it, it's pretty neat what, what, uh, what we can do with it. Um, so unfortunately you can't run it on something as small as like a ESP 32 or something like that. You do need something with a bit more heft. 
Um, and even with the Raspberry Pi, it does take a couple of seconds. Like if you run it on like an old laptop, so if you're running Home Assistant today on a Nook or on like an older laptop or, or something a little more powerful than a Pi, it takes next to no time, right? And uh, yeah, it's very impressive to your point, Phil. So yeah, and Raspberry, so I think Nabucaster have been like benchmarking this against uh, like a Raspberry mm-hmm. Pi 4. So assuming that's, you know, if you get like just a little bit extra, then um, it's going to be even better. So yeah, um, yeah I was quite impressed um, yeah. with the way uh, Raspberry works. Um, and I believe uh, there's also now um, a new, uh, going the other way, there's also a new project called Piper which converts text into speech. Um, now, you can currently do this uh, using like Google Translate. And of course, Nabucasa has a cloud uh, text-to-speech uh, engine, which is very good. Um, but what this one is, Piper, is it can all be done locally. And I don't know, Rahan, if you ever back in the day uh, would play around with, you know, like on the Windows, you know, when text-to-speech was really coming along in the early days, you know, you'd have like your yeah, like Microsoft Stephen Sam. Hawking. Yeah, Microsoft <laughs> Sam, you have your Stephen Hawking sort of style. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Piper is, yeah, absolutely to another level. Um, Piper has support for 18 languages um, and, as I said, completely locally. Um, and, yeah, so it has an API that can be called. Um, it will then, Home Assistant will cache the, uh, the output. So if you say, you know, if you're constantly generating the same uh, voice or the same text that needs to be converted into speech, Home Assistant will uh, cache that and then won't have to re-render it. So, yeah, very cool. Um, the voices uh, have different levels. So there's, you know, low quality, which will be very quick to generate. And then there's high quality. And I think on a Raspberry Pi 4, the high quality was, you know, for one second of voice uh to be generated one second of text to be converted to speech it took two seconds but on the fast um it was oh, sorry on the low quality it was much faster like it was you know for one second of speech it would cost maybe like half a second of processing time so the responses are actually very quick um for something local considering all the amount of you know horsepower that's required to run you know the amazon echo google home and get that nice sounding speech that's all done yeah in the cloud, right? no it's it's it is again very efficient very cool um really neat the way the way uh it's built too so um and and huge shout out to uh mike hansen there who's mm. um basically he's behind the raspi project and he basically works with nabucasa now and uh a lot of this is you know uh including a lot of the development behind some of those models as well is actually mike so yeah uh shout out to mike over there that's uh which is which is pretty great um so yeah it, it is the, the year of the voice chapter two is very very cool um and then there's actually a little a second part there too right so um where esp home comes into play mm. um so you can have uh something like an esp based device yep. um that has a mic and speaker and so on and so forth built in um and use that now as as your own little push to talk uh, voice assistant, right? Which is cool. Um, so there's M5 stack um, actually has the Atom Echo uh, smart speaker dev kit thing. So you can use something like that that's supported by ESP Home because it is a ESP32 uh, based device. And basically 
press the button, say what you want to do, and it can reiterate it back to you. Now, again, that's an example of a device. Um, the speaker on that is not great or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And again, the mic is the mic works, but it's not you know anything to anything to call home about. But you know, for fourteen bucks, that's pretty pretty decent, right? Like in terms of what you can do with it. Um, so you know, I, I I've actually looked at you know maybe grabbing some something like that and then uh, you know well, using think- that to say, hey, like do something cool with it, right? Like. Mm. I think the problem there was um, just as like Paul's had a live demo with one of those devices and they were already sold out. Like he was like, we haven't even usually after we announce something, it sells out, but even before. I know I'm, I'm kicking myself. Cause I was like, ah, oh, do I get it? Do I not? And I, when I looked mm. at it, it wasn't uh, sold out yet. And, uh, and cause we talked about it on the creator's call and, and I looked at it and I was like, okay, maybe I'll get one. It's like 15 bucks. And then I was like, yeah, ah, should I? Yeah, whatever. And then I sat on it and the next thing you know, it sold out. So typical. Um, there, there goes, this is why I don't have side businesses and <laughs> selling at everything at like a hundred percent markup, right? <laughs> Cause I just don't remember to do it. So, yeah. so that's my biggest problem. Um, but the, so I think I can't remember if it was, uh, Corey or Alistair that we were talking about, uh, this, uh, recently, right. They were asking, you know, mm-hmm. are we going to have, uh, any support for voice assistance in ESP home? Well, here it is. Yes. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, once I saw Paulus do that demo of pushing a button um, and how quick the responses was locally, and for the most part, you know, there were some accuracy issues uh, with the live demo, you know. Sure. Is there probably going to be accuracy issues? Maybe. Um, but that will improve over time. The more people that can contribute voice models and languages and and all that um, will get much better. You, you um, have to remember, too, it's not, uh, it's not like a... Amazon Echo device or something like that, which has like an mm. array of mics and yeah. and is able to like hone in on you saying it's literally a device with a tiny little mic uh, with a plastic shield around it to distort yeah. your audio even further, right? So it's, but for for what it is, it's actually really, really good. Now I'm sure if you had something like, a, again, if you built a device like an Amazon Echo uh, that could do that, then I'm sure that would be that much better. Yep. Um, so interestingly, so this is, so this is where chapter two is currently sort of mm-hmm. around. It's, you know, doing the speech to text, text to speech sort of area. And we have now SP home has a support for the push button. Now, one of the most requested features of course is going to be a custom <laughs> wake word. Wake um, word. and yeah, my compulsor were discussing this on that call and they were saying just how hard it is to find something that could be open source and allow a custom wake word. So yeah, Mike was down there uh, at one of the conferences in San Francisco, I believe, you know, asking companies, you know, can we use this in our thing? It needs to be open source. And as soon as he said open source, everything shut down. So it's all proprietary at the moment. Um, And I I guess there is a lot of uh, tech, you know, and a lot of, and this is going to, you know, if doing the text to speech and speech to text is the hard part, getting the wake word will probably be, you know, extra hard um, because, you know, you have to, background noise filtering did i actually mean to talk to the amazon echo when i said amazon echo or was i just talking about in conversation how do i do that all locally um you know without doing you know special hardware because you know the google home amazon echo devices have the hardware to support these wake words right and yeah i guess that's why um at least on the amazon side you don't have the ability to set your own custom wake word they have poor four predefined ones computer amazon echo yeah. and 
I won't say her name because that's the, the most common one you're going to be using. A-L-E-X-A, used. yeah. Yeah, exactly right. Um, and they have honed those devices, those microphones, on how to listen to those words. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I it's – but potentially this is where, again, the community comes in, right? Like, I yep. mean, I'm sure there's a lot of – few users at least that have that have worked on these projects right between the amazon echo and google home and uh, apple's siri and so on and so forth right that uh that might be able to lend some knowledge there from mm. to the open source source world right like to say hey this is what we do or this is how we're doing this kind of thing yeah. so um yeah that'd be that'd be cool i mean so again not that not that they've explicitly asked for this or anything like that but i mean it's a great time for the community to step in and say, hey, this is, uh, you know, we let, let's get something going there. So, um, There with Piper, there is, um, it's a, a new project, so there's not uh, mm-hmm. too many voices. There actually is um, some pretty cool voices, though, um, on there, but there is the ability to train your own voice, and I'm kind of excited for this. Now, Mike did say that officially uh, they won't support, uh, you know, actors or any famous people, you know, recreating their voices. But there are ways that you can train the the model to do it. So I am waiting for the day where you can, you know, custom, you know, sideload your own voice uh, profile in there. I I have my hit list. I would like Morgan Freeman, please. Um, That's right. Scarlett Johansson, so I can have uh, Samantha from her um, as my (laughs) assistant. And I can't remember the the actor's name, but the voice from Jarvis from Iron Man. If I can get Ooh. those three people as custom voices, and maybe um, Barack Obama just for the fun of it. Um, That'd be but, fun, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just we can see some cool stuff there. Do you have any hit list voices that you'd want to see in, a, in, a, in your custom local controlled I'm assistant? I'm trying to think. Arnold Schwarzenegger would be kind of fun. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> That that would be cool, actually. Your lights yeah. are off, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Other than that, um, honestly, a couple of the ones you named, right? Like Morgan Freeman. Mm. Actually, it would be kind of cool to have. Um, oh my goodness, um, Sir. Why can't I David Attenborough? David Attenborough. Right, that would that, be kind of oh, cool too. It's yeah. Like get 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 like every time it's like talking to a documentary. Yeah, well, because right. then you could power it via like Chat GPT, right? Exactly, and then... right, and be like. Tell me about elephants, and it's just like, yeah. <laughs> and tell me this. Tell, tell me about elephants in the style of David Attenborough, and then you've got David yeah. Attenborough's generated voice. You know, like how cool would this that be? is so. Rohan Karamandi, and in the morning he showers <laughs> at seven a.m. Yeah. Don't talk to him before he's had his coffee. That's it. That, yeah, yeah. It's, how how fun would that be? Right, like it's, uh, but but yeah. So there is one other part, and technically there's a new integration as well, but we didn't uh, we didn't talk about it just because it's mm. really it's part of uh, You're the Voice. Um, but you do now have the ability to bring in a uh, analog phone connected to a VoIP-based uh, voice assistant. So that means now, so you've seen a lot of folks that are hinting at uh, like having just like an analog phone or something like that. So essentially mm. the idea could be you pick it up and you just start talking um, and, and, and Paulus kind of half jokingly says it's, it's like the most private, uh, voice assistant there is, right. Cause when it's off hook, it's off hook. Right. Yeah. And then when yeah. you, when you pick up the phone, then at that point, then it's, you know, then it's listening and you say, Hey, turn on the bedroom light or whatever it is. And then, and then it'll, it'll, it'll do that. Right. So 
but it'll it will leverage um, a VoIP uh, VoIP device. I believe there's a specific one that they are supporting to start with. Maybe I don't know yeah. if the, if it's going to support everything, but uh, most of them are standards. Based, so I don't know if it needs something specific for that, but uh, but yeah, it is. Uh, it's there. The work is being done on it, um, and I think there is a lot of uh, really cool things that you can do there now. So I didn't even have an analog phone. I, I guess uh, Mark. I don't uh, either. Comment <laughs> like you know, go to your local phone. antique store and uh, I know. buy one, right? Um, I know you have to go to just like a thrift store or something. <laughs> get yeah. a get a phone. So. Uh, but yeah, so I think that's it. That's it. Yeah. So you're the voice chapter two. Um, I think I was really excited um, by yeah the stuff that they're they're being able to achieve you know with those yeah. new assistants um, and the ability to have them plug in and, and plug out right. So um, you can have one uh, assistant that can talk to you in uh, your own language like Spanish, German, Dutch, mm-hmm. and another assistant that can talk to you in English. You can choose. Um, which assistant you're talking to. You can even have like one that talks to you in the style of Mario or, or yeah. however I mentioned before. So all that stuff is really cool. Um, and I'm actually impressed like what we are May 5th, uh, sorry, not May 5th, like the, the fifth month, so May. Um, yeah. And we've already knocked off, you know, one chapter, which was the assist part of it. Um, yeah. This part's pretty cool. So chapter three, here we come. Yeah, that would be uh, pretty neat. So yeah, again, shout out to the Navcasa team for that. Uh, doing some doing some really cool work, right? So yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. That's it. Right. We'll see everyone for the next release. Thank you. All right. Cheers. Cheers. If you want to share your home assistant journey or come on as a guest, reach out to us at feedback at haspodcast.io. That's H-A-S-S podcast.io. Home Assistant Podcast is hosted by Phil Hawthorne and myself, Rohan Karamandi. For links to topics we discussed today, check out our show notes on haspodcast.io.